sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, uh, I'm your I'm your friend Nate Larkin uh, here behind the mic with none other than Chris Inman. He's back filling in again for uh, for Aaron Porter. And thank you so much, man. Because I know you got a you got a full calendar. You got a full calendar today. What, oh, what's happening today, in your house? Today's a big day around my house. This is a day that's been a countdown. So <laughs> I have three kids: uh, a son yeah. who's twenty one at the Coast Guard Academy in Connecticut, a daughter who's in college at Troy University. And today is my youngest daughter's 16th birthday. And I've been reminded about this day every day for about the last three months. <laughs> so she is super excited. She got up this morning with a big smile on her face. And, you know, yeah. there's in, in my own experience, and I know many of our listeners have had this as well. This It's kind of, uh, you know, it's a day of celebration, but it's also a day of grieving because, you know, the youngest one is leaving the house and. He's yeah. going to be more free, and so what do you? What do I do with myself? Yeah. I, I don't know. You yeah. you you had kids leave home. What, what do you do <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. when the kids leave the house? Oh man, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's a bittersweet time. It really it is. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, in our case, uh, two of them uh, left home and then came back. Okay, so uh, I'll have that to look forward to. I would oh, yeah, yeah. For a while, <laughs> Allie and I were part of a group down South Florida. Uh, uh, we call ourselves Pork, Parents of Returning Kids. <laughs> we, That's a good we got, group name. Yeah, yeah. We got together and, and told stories and commiserated, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so, so your youngest, youngest is 16. Yes. And okay. she, uh, so we, we've done something which I think has worked out very well. I highly recommend it. We've bought cars for our kids early. So uh-huh. they don't get nice cars. They just get a, you know, something to drive around, but she got her, she's had her car for almost a year. So last uh-huh. night before her 16th birthday, you know what she did? She uh-huh. went and cleaned her car. Okay, good. She took yeah. it to the car wash, cleaned all the mats. She wanted to be shiny and sparkly. We're going yeah. this afternoon to the driver's license place. Because she can't get a driver's license in the mail and use last year's picture. She's got to get a brand new driver's license picture. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Do her hair up, do all that. Oh. So it's a production, you know? It is. It's girls. It's girls. (laughs) (laughs) Allie will agonize over the picture that we take for the Costco card. That's right. uh, (laughs) That's right. It's a symbol. It's like, this is who I am on this little piece of plastic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've learned when I take pictures of Allie, mm. uh, it's, it's going to be a while. We're going to mm. take, we're going to take, I've got to give her a selection of portraits from which to choose. That's a wise man. That's very patient. Yeah. That's very yeah. patient of you. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So I, I think for us, you know, the, it's, it's just a matter of inviting my daughter to just take some responsibility. I mean, I think that's kind of what we do on the podcast anyways, is we're, you know, these guys are checking in to take responsibility of their, their life. And I know we've got yeah. a great interview coming up with a woman who talks a lot about what it means to be young and grow up and have these different experiences. So uh, I, I'm, I'm excited uh, to see how um, growing up can be a topic of conversation for us in the next few minutes. Uh, yes. You know what? We are going to talk about childhood, perhaps not in the way our listeners are typically used to talking about childhood Mm. when we return on the Pirate Monk Podcast. 
This episode of the Power Move podcast is sponsored by LifeWorks Counseling. Our good friends, Roan and Eva Hunter and their son, Roe, are not just members of the Samson Society and the Sarah Society. They are also trauma-informed, certified sex addiction therapists with a tremendous amount of experience. Well, they and their team of counselors and recovery coaches are based in Madison, Mississippi, but thanks to the internet, they're able to work with people who live almost anywhere. So to find out more about what LifeWorks Counseling can do for you as an individual or as a couple or as a family, or to register for one of their upcoming intensives, go to lifeworks.ms lifeworks.ms Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Our guest this week is Laura K. Connell. She's the author of the book, It's Not Your Fault, The Subconscious Reasons We Self-Sabotage and How to Stop. Uh, You may have read uh, Laura's writings in uh, the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, picked up something she's written in websites like Lifehack, Pick the Brain, Dumb Little Man, Thought Catalog, Highly Sensitive Refuge, or even her contribution to the anthology Chicken Soup for the Soul. Uh, She does uh, multi-speaker online retreats that attract thousands of attendees, and she has set aside some time to talk with us today. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. It's really wonderful to be here. Yeah, yeah. So you differentiate your approach to uh, self-sabotage, dealing with childhood trauma, from conventional therapy. Would you talk to us about self-sabotage, its link to childhood trauma, and what we can do to stop tripping ourselves up? Sure. So, yeah, the reason I wrote the book was really as kind of an antidote to what I saw as the tough love in the traditional literature and self-help around um, self-sabotage. So Mm -hmm. obviously my book's not the first on this topic, but I think it is unique because the title says it, it's not your fault. Whereas previous things I'd read on the topic seem to say it is your fault. So the idea is that you just need better habits. You kind of need to pull yourself up, maybe better willpower. And mm-hmm. it was about behavior modification and thought control. And mm-hmm. I had tried that for literally decades with the help of therapy. And those methods didn't work for me in the long term. Now, they did work in the short term as long as I was policing myself and kind of behaving perfectly and remembering to do all the things. Mm -hmm. But what was missing was an internal transformation that would really change who I was instead of simply what I was doing or what I was thinking. Because for me and for a lot of people, it's just not sustainable to only change your behaviors And besides, a lot of us have plenty of willpower, and that's why it's so confusing. You know, at the time of the height of my self-sabotage, I was running marathons. I had had two children and lost all the baby weight within three months. I Mm -hmm. had tons of self-discipline, 
And yet I continued to sabotage myself consistently and in ways that I didn't understand why I was doing it. So the link between self-sabotage and dysfunctional family trauma or childhood trauma or complex PTSD, it has a lot of different names, it basically comes down to unmet needs in childhood. And the link between that and our adult outcomes, so that includes self-sabotage, that includes poor physical and health outcomes, these mm -hmm. were first really um, proven in the ACEs study, which was done in 1995. And mm -hmm. hearing a doctor called Nadine Burke-Harris do a TED Talk on that topic, and it was long after 95 that I heard this talk, mm -hmm. but she spoke on that very large-scale study that finally made the link between what happened to you in childhood and your adult outcomes. There is a... a connection there that has been scientifically proven now. And what I learned is that based on what had happened to me as a child, I had six aces out of 10. So these are adverse mm -hmm. childhood events. And because of that, I could expect to see my lifespan reduced by 20 years. And when I saw that, that was a real catalyst for me to get to the bottom of this because I kind of saw, you know, that's sort of true. I had grappled with an alcohol addiction, mm -hmm. you know, and we know addictions definitely reduce our life expectancy. Alcohol might do it slower, but it still does it. And mm -hmm. all this self-sabotage I was piling on myself, it was a bit scary to me to hear that. And I became very determined not to lose those 20 years or to mm -hmm. get them back if I had already lost them. And I can say now as a sober person, who has healed from self-sabotage that I have got those 20 years back and more. I think I probably look, look younger than I did at that time when I was drinking. And mm -hmm. so there's just a little bit of, you know, the kind of multifactored reasons that I did write the book and got interested in this topic of self-sabotage. I wanted to share what I had learned that I feel is different from what's out there and mm -hmm. also to provide a more compassionate approach that tells people like, actually, it's not your fault. And being so hard on yourself and feeling so much shame around what you're doing to yourself is only making the problem worse. And it's actually not warranted. Mm -hmm. So when you say it's not your fault, you are not saying that you have no agency in the solution, right? Right. Yeah, it's actually the opposite of that. I think it really is up to you to take this into your own hands because nobody else can do it for you. You know, people can walk alongside you and you want to get the support you need, but you have to make the decision in yourself to take control of this issue. And what I recommend and what worked for me is really gaining the understanding of why you're doing it because mm -hmm. these reasons are very subconscious. And if you don't know why you're doing something, you're kind of walking around in the dark um, and you don't know how to change it. So getting that understanding of where it comes from, which is in these childhood unmet needs, and mm -hmm. you can learn to reparent yourself, we call it. So those needs that didn't get met in childhood for whatever reason, it's not mm -hmm. always the fault of the caregiver, even it could be circumstances beyond their control. 
Mm -hmm. And, but you didn't get what you needed and that's what we have to deal with today. And so you become your own parent. You stop looking for um, love or getting your needs met in places where they're not going to be. And you start mm. taking on that responsibility of parenting yourself. So that's really the first step. Wow. Wow. I, I like that distinction that it, 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 it's, we're not necessarily talking about, I, I know that some people in a res, uh, resist going back and looking at early childhood because they know their parents love them. They know their parents did their very best. They don't want to now, I, I don't want to start attacking mom and dad. I don't want to embark on, uh, on uh, some orgy of self pity that isn't going to go anywhere, but there's a big difference between self pity and appropriate compassion for a child who's dependent upon others to have his or her needs met. And I, I love that you went ahead and made the distinction that it isn't always the caregiver's fault that, uh, right? So it's not so much about assigning blame. Is that true? Yeah, I would say it's true, but by the same token, I would say it's also not avoiding blame. So I think yeah. a lot of times, children they want to protect their parents and they're so used to protecting that family name mm -hmm. at the expense of themselves often that yeah. you'll hear someone say you know this happened to me but my parents were great you know yeah, and yeah, then you yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, think yeah. about what they just said to you and the fact that their parents yeah. are great and they don't really match you know mm -hmm. so um i think not avoiding blame is important too but also not getting bogged down in that. My approach is that we want to get the focus off of the parents or the caregivers that didn't give us what we need and want and put it onto mm -hmm. ourselves where we have control over the issue. Because we mm -hmm. can't control what someone else does. We can't make other people love us in the way we need. We can yeah. only show up for ourselves. Yeah. So... I have a question. You talked about having understanding about what happened to us. And in what you just said, I hear a little bit of a tension. I think there's obviously a great tension in both of the going back and understanding what happened to us and also the responsibility that I have because my parents aren't coming to repair necessarily. I've got to do that repair myself, as you talk about with self-parenting. So how is it that that you would, you would encourage someone to gain the understanding of what happened without the shame and the blame and the, and, you know, becoming a victim, I guess you would say in that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not about being a victim. It's very much about empowering yourself with this information. So the understanding, the tagline of my book is the subconscious reasons we self-sabotage and how to stop. So what we want to do is uncover those subconscious reasons and like mm -hmm. I keep saying, they go back to childhood. Sure. So once you can understand that what happened to you is impacting your behavior towards yourself. So the way you're treating yourself, calling yourself your own worst enemy is actually not accurate mm -hmm. because every part of you is on your own side. It's just that it doesn't always look that way. So when we grow up in a home where our needs aren't met, we develop an inner child who mm. is obviously very immature because it's a child. It hasn't been taught how to deal with life's conflicts. It hasn't been taught emotional regulation. 
It hasn't mm-hmm. been taught how to set boundaries. In fact, it's learned in the house the opposite of that. It's learned right. not to have needs because those are a burden or those might mm-hmm. even get you punished. They might mm-hmm. get you rejected. They might get you abandoned. And when you're a child, that really does feel like life or death to the nervous system, you know, and mm-hmm. the nervous system is there to keep you safe. It, when there's a threat, whether it's real or imagined, that fight or flight response kicks in to keep you alive. But the problem is that that response is releasing a lot of cortisol, a lot of stress hormone, which is so terrible for you. And that's why we have these poor physical outcomes when we haven't dealt mm-hmm. with these things in adulthood. So that inner child is trying to keep you safe the only way it can. And so it will use things like people pleasing because mm-hmm. in the home, if I could keep mom and dad happy, I could buy some time or at least I wouldn't get in trouble. And that felt kind of safe for a time. Right. Mm-hmm. Or it does things like expecting the worst, you know, like, while well, you were so disappointed so often. How do we keep you safe from that disappointment? We're just going to expect that nothing good is going to come out of this. So mm-hmm. these are some of the ways that the inner child tries to keep you safe. Um, but it looks like self-sabotage. So it's very short term in its thinking because it's survival. It's trying to keep you literally alive. And it also doesn't understand that this is not a real threat because you're an adult. You're not dependent Mm -hmm. on caregivers anymore. You probably have a job in your own home. You may have children of your own that you take care of. And yet this child still thinks you need all this protection from rejection or abandonment. When the truth is, Rejection or abandonment may come, but it's not going to kill you. It's going to hurt a little, you know, but you're an adult and you will survive. So that's Mm. what we're dealing with. So it sounds like, you know, with that inner child dynamic, it's an over-exaggerated response that was kind of cultivated in those very young years. I had to do this to survive. And so by going back and understanding how that was formed, now I can begin to have some kindness toward that younger version of myself that's still stuck in the fight, flight, freeze response and reacting to all this stuff that, you know, like you said, is normal everyday adult stuff, but it feels like life or death. Is that, am I on the right track there? That's exactly it. And because if you weren't taught those tools, because think about someone who grew up in a healthy home, their parents are guiding them. Their parents are praising them and encouraging them. They're paying attention to their strengths and even their weaknesses so they can kind of move them in the direction of those strengths and away from the weaknesses. And if you're not getting any of that, that child is, it just doesn't know what to do. It's really trying to raise itself the best way it can. And that emotional dysregulation I mentioned is from not having anyone help you with your feelings And again, like the boundaries saying, actually, feelings are not welcome here. Feelings Mm -hmm. are going to cause displeasure. They're going to burden this person that you're trying to please. So we better keep those to ourselves. So all of this gets suppressed. And that's why you might find in traumatized individuals, the outbursts, you know, that we associate with, like, I used to do this, I suppressed all my emotions. And then when I drank, my inhibitions would go down and I would have Mm -hmm. an outburst. And so often I would spend the next morning calling people and apologizing for what I had said the night before. 
And, mm-hmm. but I, it kept happening, you know, even though I had so much regret and shame, it kept happening because that's how the child was dealing with. I wasn't reacting to what I thought I was reacting to. I was reacting to all the years of those unmet needs that mm. I was keeping suppressed. And that's, mm. that's where the upset and the anger was really stemming from. Uh, Laura, thank you f- for your transparency about uh, uh, talking about uh, a life of sobriety now. Uh, that interests me greatly. I'm a recovering addict. Uh, alcohol, not my primary addiction, but I stopped drinking four months ago and have I'm enjoying the benefits thereof. Um, you, you mentioned that when you took the ACE test, from what I understand, if you answer yes to, I think, two on those on that list, you are uh, of adverse childhood experiences. Uh, you're at, at grave risk. You said you hit a six. Would you mind sharing with us a little bit of what those adverse childhood experiences were? Yeah. So on the ACE test, they refer to ten experiences that you might um, encounter in a difficult childhood, and those mm-hmm. cover emotional physical, sexual abuse, and even whether your parents divorced, whether you had a parent who was incarcerated, um, Mm -hmm. things like that. So I had, the ones I had, I did not have sexual abuse. It's easier to say what I didn't have because I had so much, (laughs) but I didn't have (laughs) sexual abuse. I didn't have anyone incarcerated. Um, And there were two more I didn't have. I don't have all the 10 at my disposal right now. Um, But even that study has been criticized in more recent times by people like Dr. Gabor Mate because it excludes emotional neglect, which Mm -hmm. we're now seeing can be just as harmful as what we call abuse. So just being ignored and being left to your own devices, basically not having any help in that arena. So, yeah, I've had clients who have had eight you know, oh, um, there are yeah. people who have 10, so, and they overcome and they live a life that's very authentic and fulfilling. So these things can be overcome. It's just a matter of facing them. Taking the ACE test can be a very transformative experience because it helps you understand why you're doing this, you know, and that those things that happened to you weren't restricted to that time. They follow you around in ways that you can't control. So I think in the past, you know, being in Gen X, we were always told to just forget about it, get over it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't get a lot of support around our emotions. The way I see like my kids who are Gen Z feel they have the right to have that support. Um, so what happens is that there's no time with this nervous system activation that you experience. It doesn't know that that happened 20 years ago. It feels like you're experiencing it right now and that's why you can't control it and that's why until you understand where it's coming from it's very hard to change it yeah yeah but this is to what degree is this approach experiential and to what degree is it uh cognitive it sounds to me as though it's something like cbt cognitive behavioral therapy you know Mm -hmm. uh, you know can confer short-term gains but it's it's tough to uh, keep the right frame of mind consistently all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet uh, 
when you say I, I need to understand the impact of my childhood experience on my present day reality, to what degree is that an experiential thing? And to what degree is that kind of a cognitive thing? How do I, how do I get my hands around it? Yeah, I actually believe it's both. And mm-hmm. my clients have often come from a CBT background where mm-hmm. I think that has its place, but I don't think mm-hmm. the place is at the beginning of a trauma healing journey. So I ah. think, yeah, trauma healing is somatic. And I'm not a somatic practitioner. I'm a trauma-informed coach. So I use both. So I can mm-hmm. give the example of um, mindful self-compassion. And this is a pretty recent modality that Kristen Neff has researched. I think she's from the University of Texas. And it is basically giving yourself the kindness. It's that reparenting process mm-hmm. that I talked about. Being Giving yourself the kindness that you give to others. Knowing that you're not alone in the world. Because isolation is created by that shame that we pour onto ourselves when we're behaving in these ways, right? So knowing right. that you're not alone, whether it's with this issue that you're dealing with or just in general with suffering as a human, you know, to be human is to suffer. And mm-hmm. often we feel shame even about just suffering because we're told if you're suffering, you're doing something wrong. When mm-hmm. in fact, I believe that it is human to suffer. That's part of the experience. And then the third one is the mindfulness piece. And that's where that experiential part would come in that you're referring to. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, it often comes in the form of meditation and meditation can look like a whole bunch of different things. It is getting in tune with your emotions, accepting them instead of pushing them away. And that's where it conflicts with CBT a little bit because CBT mm-hmm. is often about catching the thought and changing it. You know, mm-hmm. they'll say that thought is not helpful. Don't listen to it. But what mindful self-compassion says is let's pay attention to the thought, knowing that we're always on our own side. Like I said, what is Mm -hmm. that thought telling you? And it may seem unhelpful, but let's get to the root of it. Say, you know, you're thinking negatively all the time, like that other shoe is going to drop, which I referred to before, expecting the worst. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why are you thinking that? Where does that come from? And so, again, we can take it back to childhood. If disappointment was a constant in your life, you might protect yourself from that disappointment by expecting the worst. And so we're making connections here instead of just throwing the thought away and maybe not getting the meaning out of it that we would. Mm. It's about getting curious. And I like reframing the way we ask questions, too. So instead of saying, why do I do this all the time? We can just say the same words with a different attitude and not shame ourselves, but curious, like, why do I do this to myself? Let's look at that, you know, Uh, and then we're getting rid of the shame and we're actually just dealing with, we're just being curious about our behavior and that's it. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Can I just be curious right now since we're on a curious train? I, I love your word self-parenting. I, I have not run across that before. And I'm very curious what that looks like. Is is there a aspect of that? And I know it's that combining the cognitive and the somatic, the experiential pieces and engaging emotions. But um, if you were to say, these, these are the things that you can do to begin to self-parent, what would you tell somebody who is really wanting to get serious about dealing with their emotional traumas? 
Yeah, often the first thing I do with my clients is give them an exercise, which is very simple. It's getting to know yourself. And, you know, I refer to those homes where we weren't taught to look out for our strengths and weaknesses. We didn't receive encouragement. And this creates like a really almost a lack of self. So parents are supposed to really mirror back to us who we are. And Mm -hmm. when they don't do that, we don't know who we are. Like we are just kind of this survival mechanism that's defending against threats, trying to keep our head above water. We don't have time for self-development or discovering ourselves. That inner child who is supposed to be playing and exploring is actually being hypervigilant and keeping you safe and trying to be the adult that it's not equipped to be. So there's a sensory delights exercise that I give. Just get to know yourself on a somatic level because the senses are somatic and just refer to things that you enjoy on that level. So taste, touch, smell, sight, just make a list of things you enjoy because believe it or not, when you're traumatized this way, just knowing what you like can be difficult. Like you just have no idea because that's not something that you've been taught to explore. It doesn't even occur to you sometimes. Mm-hmm. When someone asks you what you want to do, you are so ready to say, hmm, I wonder what they want. Let me think of what they would want. And I'll say that. And that'll keep yeah. me safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like there's a bit of, of rediscovering identity. You know, who, who am I? Because when I was in that place where that should have been formed, I was trying to survive. Mm-hmm. So that, 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 that first exercise is just getting in touch with my body, with my senses, with some very, and, you know, we both come from a more religious background. So the, even that in itself is kind of dismissed because that's the body is just the body. We need to get to the mind and figure things mm-hmm. out intellectually. So mm-hmm. what's, what's next that, that we can begin to do in addition to that? Cause that'll take three months or a year or five years. However long. <laughs> yeah. is. I mean, just to find, I'm, I'm still a nine-year-old evidently. So, <laughs> so what is it after you really deal with those somatic experiences, what comes next in the reparenting process? I would say we're looking at inner child healing after that. So mm-hmm. this is reassuring the child that it no longer has to take care of you in this way. And mm-hmm. so reparenting the inner child means reassuring it. And you can use evidence like the evidence that you pay a mortgage or you have a job you can go to the grocery store and buy food. You are equipped. And even if you can't do it yourself, you have access to resources. Mm-hmm. So you have people you can go to. You, you can even Google if you need help. Like these are all available to you as an adult. So that child needs to know that it is safe to let go of that role that it's holding on to, which mm-hmm. is sabotaging you really by trying to keep you safe. Yep. And mm-hmm. I think it's important that while you're healing this child to let it know, and it might sound strange to talk about a child that's inside of you. It's just the part of you that's trying to keep you safe. So when you're reassuring that child that you've got things now and you're going to take care of it, you can even thank it, you know, instead of putting more shame on that or pushing it away, say, thank you for taking care of me the way you have up until now, but now I'm going to take care of you. And if you feel like that child is scared of being discarded, 
then you can say, I'm going to give you a new job. And your job is to do what it should have been doing the whole time, which was find fun things for us to do. Because, yeah, yeah, because often I can attest to this and many people who grew up with unmet needs, they don't even have hobbies. Like they don't even know how to have fun. And having fun can feel like a bit of a burden because it's not satisfying. It can feel like another thing I have to do, you know? So if that child can just sort of find fun things for you to do, um, find ways for you to relax, that can be its new job. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways I notice with my client that inner child healing is taking place is they'll say, wow, I have this sense of spontaneity that I never had You know, I just, I'm not scared of what's going to happen. I'm excited. That's an inner child that's healing. That's Mm. awesome. Mm. Feels so free. I mean, that's kind of the goal of all of this recovery piece is to go back to that. I just want to be free to do the things that I want to do. But like you say, so many of us just have no clue. What, what do we want? You know, that child has been silenced or put into, into slave labor for survival mode. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. It has. It's been overburdened and with a task that it is not equipped to do, obviously. And that's why it's doing it so poorly. <laughs> that's why it's not working out. I, I wonder if I could ask you a, a fairly, sp- a, a quite specific speculative question. A high percentage of our listeners uh, are survivors of uh, porn and sex addiction, been caught in a trap, self sabotage behavior, sacrificed a great deal, and damaged other people in the process. So a question is now, obviously people are people, life, no two lives are exactly the same, but if you were to think about, just to speculate, what sort of unmet childhood needs, early childhood needs might be, uh, might, might dispose a person to develop a porn or sex addiction? Yeah, I think Porn addiction is the same as any addiction. I think addictions, Mm -hmm. and I'm not an expert on porn addiction, so forgive me if you don't agree with that. But um, Oh, no, I agree, 100%. yeah, Yeah, I think addictions all serve a purpose. They're coping mechanisms. They're the ways that we deal with the pain of trauma because the definition of trauma is that it's overwhelming. One of the definitions, one of the characteristics is that it's overwhelming. So in order to deal with the overwhelming pain, we use these mechanisms to escape. So Mm -hmm. instead of doing what may be a healthier person, and when I say healthy, I don't mean to diminish anyone. I just mean someone who has better coping skills. They Mm -hmm. would do something like a little self-care to relieve themselves, you know. But those of us who have these issues, we're escaping something much bigger than us. And there's the feeling of almost needing to obliterate yourself, like to get out of here, you know? Yes. So the tactics uh-huh. we use are much more intense usually, and they cause mm-hmm. like a break with reality, right? Yes. Because reality is too painful. So we need to get out of here. And this is how we do it, whether it's porn or drinking or drugs or anything else. Mm-hmm. And often, right. too, it's escaping those emotions that we don't know how to deal with because we were never taught how to deal with them. Emotions come up. We're escaping intimacy because intimacy was never allowed. Um, and mm-hmm. porn is a big way to escape intimacy, which almost sounds sure. a little bit ironic. 
but you know, absolutely all true. Addictions yeah. separate us from people, and they prevent us from having true intimacy. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you are a trauma-informed coach. Do you uh, work with clients remotely? I do. Yes. All my clients are on Zoom and I have clients as far away as New Zealand, Australia. And it's really fun because I'll be talking to them and it's the next day where they are. So I'm in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have listeners around the globe as well and uh, meetings with participants from from, uh, time zones all around uh, the world. Uh, what, what? How could our listeners uh, who are interested in making further contact with you reach you? Yeah, the best place to go would be my website. It's laurakconnell.com. And when you go there, you can just look at the menu and there is a tab for coaching. There's one for a course. So whatever you want to look at, just go on there and explore and you'll find everything you need. There's a very comprehensive blog library there too, where I talk about all mm-hmm. these issues and being a writer by trade, they're, you know, they're good quality articles. And I think you'll learn mm-hmm. a lot there. So that's awesome. where I'd send people. That's great. And the book again is It's Not Your Fault, The Subconscious Reasons We Self-Sabotage and How to Stop. Our guest has been Laura K. Connell. Thank you so much, Laura, for taking the time to speak with us. This has been very informative, inspiring and encouraging conversation. Thank you so much, too. It's been an honor. All right. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, we're back, and what a great conversation with Laura and talking about self-sabotage and all the pieces around our early childhood development. And Nate, Mm -hmm. I just, you know, one of the things that I was really resonating with as I was listening to her is the number of times I've sat in a circle of men, and I had a, a, a man has started to tell his story like this. He said, you know... I grew up uh, in a great Christian home and my mom and dad loved me, but I just can't stop acting out sexually. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah. this, this disintegration of, you know, the causal elements. And again, we're not blaming or shaming anybody. We're just mm-hmm. telling how things happen and the reality of today. So I'm really grateful. She brought some clarity to that in our conversation. Yeah. You know, I, she she had a lot of great insights and uh, memorable phrases in uh, our conversation. One of them that really stuck out to me was when she took issue with this common phrase. I have said it probably a thousand times and I've heard it a million times. I am my own worst enemy. Mm, yes. Uh, and she took issue with that sentiment. Yes. No, no. Uh, we are always on our side. It's just... Our attempts to help the inner child are misguided and yeah. misinformed, right? And I think, yeah, that it's it's a big piece of the the misunderstanding of the development of my own self. And yeah. every yeah. person's story is normal because that's how I grew up. I mean, that was the way that I experienced life, right? So, yeah. Yeah. my normal was mom and dad emotionally distant, and yeah. dad always working, and I had to figure things out on my own. And so she talked about the coping behaviors, whether it was 
One of the things that I've, uh, if you go to her website, she has a survey, a quiz. I would encourage you to check it out. How did you cope with your parents? And one of the ways that it's, it references is humor. That mm-hmm. was kind of, I was kind of the funny guy. I made jokes right. about things. And sure. This, yeah. Oh, it's not that bad. But I think what you're talking about, Nate, is, is this ability to come back around and say, I wasn't the bad guy. I really do have an opportunity uh, to be kind to myself and to do the things that I I know I can do if I just understand who I really am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what comes along emotionally for me in that phrase, I am my own worst enemy, is a lot of self-loathing, self-hatred, uh, stupid, stupid name-calling, calling myself names. How yeah. could you be that stupid? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, it, it does change, uh, my perspective dramatically to imagine that it's really the inner child, the immature, uninformed, uh, but desperate to survive inner child Mm. on an emotional level. This is, these are subconscious decisions. It's very clear. These are not intelligent, conscious decisions no. that I have. You're been a making. child. You're still right. op- operating as a child emotionally. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and I would not verbally abuse a child in that way. I would try right. to encourage and educate and help. Uh, yeah. Uh, and structure a child. So. Yeah, it's so easy to go there, isn't it? I mean, to oh. just go slip back, and it's all almost like the inner monologue is there. But then I think I know I heard it some. From externally, I just borrowed what other people were saying in my environment, right. uh, you know. And for me, it was a it was a religious environment. It was it was I'm a sinner, God yeah. is angry with me, and so I borrowed a lot of that language to reinforce that internal shame and and create more self sabotage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, a lot to think about in that conversation, and uh, this uh, this this actually is a counterpoint. Uh, I don't know that we'll talk about it in this show, but I have been very uh, strongly impacted in the last week by a book recommended to me by my youngest son called uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, mm-hmm. How Good Intentions and Bad uh, uh, Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. Now, that's a book strongly on the side of uh, CBT, uh, sure. Cognitive Behavioral sure. Therapy. Sure. And Laura herself said that CBT is helpful at at the back end of the healing process. After we've done the inner child emotional work, yes. Right, sure. right, right. Uh, and it's approach does that does not deny the reality of uh, you know unmet childhood needs. But so yeah, uh, always learning, always thinking. I'm grateful to be conscious right now. Absolutely. Uh, well. Uh, you should be conscious because you're you're about to take a trip, aren't you? Aren't you heading? <laughs> there's this yeah. conference, this big conference, uh, and actually yeah. there's two conferences. But the first one coming up is the Pure Desire Conference, and you're yeah. one of the keynote yeah. speakers. It's September right, 14th right. and 15th. Yeah. Um, have you got your notes together? Do you, you you're just going to wing it, or what are you going to do there? Oh no 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 no! <laughs> here here is all, I'll tell you what the challenge always is. Yeah. If it's a big event. Uh, the temptation is always to try to say everything, to say mm. too much. Okay. Okay. Uh, and uh, to me, uh, a key to effective communication is remembering that that a day after uh, you've spoken, if you've done your job, 
your audience is going to remember one thing. <laughs> okay. Isn't that so humbling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One line is all that yeah. we'll get through. Yep. And if they can remember one thing, you've succeeded. Awesome. If the next day, all they can say is, man, he was good. He said it had a lot of good stuff, but I couldn't, I couldn't repeat any of it. <laughs> then you've failed in communication. All right. So you got your, so I'm in the process. I'm, I'm in the process really of, of, uh, sharpening the one thing. Okay. Okay. Well, I look forward to hearing what that is. And if you want to <laughs> check that out, you can <laughs> yeah, go yeah. to Pure Desire's website, register and check that out and see um, both yeah. Nate and several other uh, presenters will be there. And it's a two-day conference, right? Friday, Saturday? Right, right, right. Okay. You can attend virtually. Uh, you can go, there may be a, 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 a watch party at a host home near you, or you can set up a host home. Or if uh, if you want to go to Portland, Oregon, you can be in the physical audience, the live audience, the live take, studio. <laughs> take the jet plane. You can go on out and enjoy a yeah. little cool northwest uh, Pacific weather. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And also, we've got uh, very excited about this. It was just talking with uh, Aaron Schwinn, our faithful administrative assistant, um, mm -hmm. about the upcoming Samson Summit uh, just today. Yeah. and. You know what? I think what I'm most excited about is the is the zip lines. I think I'm I'm gonna I have I haven't done a zip line in like a decade. Are you gonna do the yeah. zip line, Nate? You know, all part of recovery for me <laughs> is learning is is learning play. Yeah. And okay. It, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we it's learned a, that today. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's it's a push for me to go okay. do the zip line. Okay. But yeah, I'll do it. Well, good. And that's just one yeah. of the many perks, right? You get on to yeah. SamsonSociety.org. You can click on the registration page. And that's November 3rd through the 5th in person. Uh, there will not be a virtual option because you right. want to be there and be around the fire pit in the room with men. I hear the food is going to be delicious. It's going to be oh, yeah. Yeah. wonderful food and great time to really hear from uh, our keynote speaker, Adam Young, uh, host yeah. of the Place We Find Ourselves podcast, um, and also a number of other presenters in our breakout groups. It's really going to be a time that you won't want to admit. This is the 10-year anniversary. Do you remember 10 years ago when we started doing the national retreats? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it's amazing, yeah. And uh, we're coming up on the 20th 20th anniversary of Samson Star. Oh, but, another big anniversary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That'll be, that'll be uh, February of next year. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Chris. Boy, great to hear your voice. Great to see your face. And uh, Thank uh, you, as always, a wonderful contribution to the conversation. Uh, uh, I guess that's it for this episode of the podcast. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Chris. And we are your pal on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arr. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.